One of my favorite stories about prayer is a story of a Native American who was visiting his friend in New York City. The New Yorker wanted to show this Native American Times Square and all the noise and the lights and kind of the, the overload that you get if you've ever been to Times Square. And he had this kind of preconceived idea of what the Native American would feel and experience. As they were in the middle of Times Square around all these screens and this like giant Hershey kiss and all the noise and the hustle and bustle of the people, the Native American didn't really seem interested in everything that was going around. And it kind of ticked the New Yorker off. The Native American was intent on finding a cricket. He kept insisting that he heard a cricket. After 15, 20 minutes of this, the New Yorker was getting New Yorked and was, was just kind of ticked. And he kind of lashed into the Native American saying, there's no way you can hear a cricket in this busy, loud, noisy environment. The Native American wasn't moved and he continued to look and crouched down on his knees to find this cricket. Eventually he crossed the street, found a little like store with a little stoop and next to the door was this like hedge of bushes and he reached behind this hedge of bush and he grabbed this cricket and there it was, this cricket who was chirping and he showed it to the New Yorker, his friend. And this guy like almost lost his mind. He, he could not fathom how could this friend, a Native American Indian, hear the chirping of a cricket in the middle of Times Square. And the Native American smiled and he said, you hear what your ears are attuned to. And then he reached in his pocket and he pulled out kind of a handful of quarters and over the pavement, he dropped him. And with about 30 feet, every single person stopped what they were doing and turned because they heard the sound of money hitting the ground. What are your ears tuned to? Kind of our issue is God's voice is, as the scriptures say, most of the time, a still, small voice. And yet, we live in a time where the pace and the noise and the alerts and the notifications and the news and the trauma and the suffering and the excitement and the despair and all the things we have to do, it, it, our just schedules and our minds and our emotions are so crowded. It's like we're living in Times Square that if we don't know how to hear the cricket, if we don't know how to hear the still small voice, life's gonna be tough. And so today we are journeying towards the end of our study on the Lord's Prayer. We have one more week left. If you are just joining us um, for the past, uh, I guess, five weeks, we've been studying the Lord's Prayer, this kind of model that Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. Now he says this then is how you should pray. He doesn't say this is what you should pray. Um, sometimes people know how to pray the words of the Lord's Prayer. They don't know how to pray the heart or the way of the Lord's Prayer. So we've been trying to teach people to pray the Lord's Prayer without necessarily praying or saying the words, even though saying the words are very important and we do it regularly. Um, there are six different movements or buckets or turns or petitions in the Lord's Prayer. The first is our Father's name. Um, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Second, our Father's kingdom, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Third, our Father's provision, give us this day our daily bread, which is so such a timely prayer these days. Fourth, last week we talked about our Father's forgiveness, our need to be forgiven from our sins, both vertically and horizontally. This week, we talk about our Father's leading. And next week, we'll talk about our Father's deliverance. Um, to do so, I'd like to read one of the classic Psalms. And I think it fits this petition of lead us not into temptation very well. And I think it might be a very um, kind of a, a balm or an encouragement for your soul. And Psalms 23. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn there in Psalms 23, you can do that. We'll have it on the screen. Or if you want to use the Bible app and go to um, like locations, you can events, you can find us there. There's also a link to it in the description below. But Psalms 23, probably the most well-known psalm of David, who was a shepherd, Jesus being our good shepherd, classic metaphor. I'm going to read it slowly so that it can kind of sink in. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Perhaps Psalm 23 is a psalm you can live in this week or in these times. Incredible psalm to meditate on. There's a great book called The Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm by, I think, um, I forget the author's name. I'll, I'll, I'll post a link to it. Fantastic book at all the images that are in this that most of us who are postmodern Western Americans have no clue about shepherd imagery. Lead us not into temptation. Some people combine this petition with the next one, which we'll cover next week, um, Deliver Some Evil. And I suppose that that's okay to do. It's easy because of how it's written. It's like a sentence. Uh, I like to break it up. And to me, it is way more helpful if we break apart, lead us not into temptation from deliverance from evil, even though they're kind of, you know, siblings and, and they, they flow together. But in terms of teaching understanding, it's very helpful to kind of separate them and to not lump them into one because it teaches us 
an important lesson on following and asking for God's leading. Now, before we cut out that and kind of get into it next week, we have to talk a little bit about temptation um, because it's right here in here. It's right here in here. That's not a word. That's not a phrase. In James chapter 1, verse 12 through 15, James talks about how God doesn't tempt us. He can't tempt us. And, and don't say that temptation comes from God. So we have this thing we need to wrestle with. How is it that James, the brother of Jesus, says God does not tempt us? And yet Jesus says in his prayer, lead us not into temptation. How do you reconcile those two scriptures and how do you deal with that? Um, do, are we really praying and asking for God to not lead us into temptation? What, and if so, what kind of God is that? I don't think that's what Jesus is teaching at all. If we look at kind of the whole counsel of scripture, we see there's a difference between temptation and testing. For example, in, in Genesis, God tested Abraham. You know, in uh, the gospel accounts, especially John, Jesus often tested his disciples. He explicitly tested Philip uh, to see what was in his disciples. Uh, every good teacher tests their students to show the student and the teacher where they're at, where is their progress. When you take a test and you fail, the student knows, oh, I need to focus on that. I don't know if you've ever taken a test and surprisingly passed, and that's been an encouragement. But every good teacher, and Jesus is our teacher, our rabbi, gives tests. Uh, the, the difference between a temptation and a test is, is the motivation. A, a test is meant to help us, and a temptation is meant to hurt us. A temptation from the evil one, uh, that just the, his, the name Satan means the accuser, the, the tempter who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. His temptations are aimed at killing you and stealing God's joy from your life and ruining you. When God allows or even sends a test our way, we're in a massive test in our country right now, it is meant to reveal, to purify, to strengthen. Very different. I mean, the beginning of James says, when you come, when you come upon trials or hard sufferings or testing, rejoice because you'll be better for it. Now, they don't feel good at the time, but I think it's helpful to say God doesn't tempt us. And so this, this whole lead us not into temptation is not a prayer where we are like twisting God's arm, asking him to not tempt us. God would never do that. It's not in his character to tempt. So what does this mean? I see it as lead us not into temptation. I see it as lead us parentheses, not into temptation. In other words, when we pray this, we say, God, I need you to lead me. I need you to guide me. And where I want you to lead me is not into temptation, but into passive righteousness, into green pastures besides still waters. I want you to lead me in the light. I want you to lead me in truth and in freedom, in joy, in peace. It's really a confession of my preference is not temptation. My preference is righteousness. So for some of you, you may have 
prayed the Lord's Prayer and, and prayed as if you need to pray that God would keep you from temptation. No, 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 no. All you need to do is to pray for leading and just confess where you want him to lead it. That's kind of what this means. I have another way of praying this. Uh, one way you can pray, lead us, is to say, let there be light. It's another way of praying this. You're saying, I need to see what to do next because it's dark. When we were planting our church eight years ago, we had no money for salary. And so I had to use these gifts God had given me to do graphic design and, and, and video editing, which in days like today has been helpful to kind of pull off the shelf and dust off. Um, but I doubled as, you know, pastor at night and then kind of graphic and video designer by day. And it was hard. Um, it's hard to drum up business and to do work for people and to make money and um, to have a church plan and to consider moving and do all these things. And it was a real stressful time financially because if I didn't work, uh, we didn't eat. It, you know, Shari had a, had a job in the medical field, which was a huge kind of safety net, but, it, but I also needed to bring in some income. It was a very, very stressful time, and it really um, caused me to be very dependent on, on the Lord. There was um, a friend that I had made when I was working downtown, and he had you know, kind of a marketing company, and he was trying to hook up with a designer like me so that they could do all their stuff in-house. And he had big names coming through his office all the time. I, m- I remember one time walking in the hallway and he had George Strait walking in to, to do a deal. And he was one of his clients and he had you know the mayor um, come in and he did a lot of like high level political campaign stuff where he made a lot of money. And he would often brag about how much money he was making off these contracts and when he would always you know, he'd land these deals that were like $20,000 deals, $30,000 deals. I remember one deal he had, it was a $50,000 marketing deal. And, you know, I'm doing jobs for like one or $2,000 a piece, you know, just no, nothing in, in the media world. And he approached me to kind of become a partner with him. And all I saw was dollar signs. And the people I could meet, the people I could rub shoulders with, the type of projects I could work on and attach my name to it. I could do more ministry because I could make more money with less time, all this. And, and I started to kind of put in my mind everything that I needed to do and how it was going to help the church and it was going to help the ministry. And this was probably God's answer to my financial stress is bringing this person along who was landing the business and I just had to do the work and it seemed like God's hand, God's blessing. And the next morning, before I made a commitment to him, I was sitting on my porch drinking coffee, and I had this habit of every morning praying, reading the scriptures, being silent, and just listening, and just saying, Lord, is there anything you need to say to me? And, and then I just stopped thinking, and I stopped talking, and I just closed my eyes, and sometimes he says something, sometimes he brings a scripture to my mind, sometimes nothing. On this morning, I heard very clearly, do not get into business with this guy. And I know it was God because it was not my will. I wanted to be in business. I just saw dollar signs. 
And I heard the Lord inside that, you know, growing up Pentecostal, we had this phrase, in your knower. Your knower is like right there. Like when you know deep in your gut something's wrong. And despite my head thinking of all the strategy and all the finances and in my knower, deep in my gut, I could feel the Lord saying, do not do it. And honestly, I struggled. I debated whether I was going to obey this kind of check in my spirit and this leading of the Lord, or if I was just going to blow through the stop sign and do it anyway. And I decided I'm going to listen to the Lord, and I'm kind of put some distance between me and this guy that I really liked. He was really fun. He was really funny. He liked me. I liked him. We had good chemistry. I didn't understand at the time. Shortly after, he brought in a guy, made him a partner, and they were 50-50, and paraded him around like he was the greatest thing, and they set up this new studio, brought in famous people to do all these live streams. They got the best gear, spent a ton of money, and they were the talk of the office for about a month. And I'll be honest, I was sitting back going, how did I miss out on this great opportunity? And then about a few months go by, I think three or four months go by, and he disappears one day. And the young man that he brought in to help him disappeared and moved um, cities, left. And what I found out was that he never paid his rent, and he had collected all of these jobs and all these contracts, and then he used this young man to do the work, and then he left and took all the money and for three or four months never paid this young man a single dollar for all the work that he'd done. And this young guy had a, had a kid, had a, he just had a baby, and it was a big mess. And my heart broke and breaks for that situation for this young man. But at the same time, I am also stepping back going, how, how can I not be grateful that the Lord said, do not get into business with this guy? I know, Drew, you see dollar signs and you see... George Strait, and you see, uh, you know, all these politicians, and you see, you know, $50,000 deals, and you see all this stuff. Don't do it. And I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't really know this guy's character. I liked him. We, we were buddies. But God spared me from that. And so this prayer about lead us not into temptation, not into destruction, not into despair, Lead us in paths of righteousness. Lead us in green pastures. Lead us beside still waters. Lead us to a table that is a banquet in the presence of the wolves. Lead us to a place where goodness and mercy are abundant everywhere. It's a real prayer. Let there be light. It's a huge prayer. I want you to think right now, is there a situation in your life where you need God's leading. I don't even have to give examples because I'm pretty sure we all have very front dashboard concerns, worries, fears, or whatever on, God, what's going to happen? What do I need to do? I want you to put in your mind a 
kind of an issue that um, you need God's direction on. Now, here's the deal. I can't promise you that God's going to speak to you in this moment and um, show you an answer. But what I do want to encourage you to do is to begin a process of seeking God's direction. I'm going to give you a couple of tips on how to do that. Uh, the first tip that I want to encourage you to do is to remove the pressure of the situation. John Eldridge is fond of saying, pressure kills. Totally true. Pressure kills. When you are in a situation trying to seek God's direction, and if there's a deadline or a financial constraint or some sort of pressure, often externally, often created by man or woman, often kind of arbitrary, I mean, and, and they often present themselves as pressures and real deadlines that cannot be adjusted. And what we've learned with this uh, COVID-19 is like anything can be adjusted. I mean, we really can't say no to, to like um, all the sports for our kids. We really can't say no to going out to eat. We, we can say no to, to a lot of things. Remove the pressure. There's uh, the, the quote here is, Pressure nearly always guarantees you will have a hard time discerning what God is saying, if you hear anything at all. Recently, a friend of mine went through an awful situation, a major test that was on the tipping point of becoming a temptation. And he was talking to me about it. And was kind of confiding in me of like what was going on. And I was starting to get kind of ticked for him. And I already started to think, Here's what you can do. Here's what you can do. Here's what we can do. Here's what I can do. And I begin to formulate a plan. And then I asked him, what are you going to do? And he said, I'm going to go out of town for a month and figure out what God wants me to do. My first thought was, why take that long time? Like, I already know what you need to do. And, you know, he's in a, a, a unique situation where he's got the, the ability and the freedom to do that, to, to be gone for a month. And he had, he had some schedule already traveled, so it wasn't like, a, let me go away. It was, he's going to use this time that was already away for work to just remove the pressure. And you know what? He came back a month later, still struggling, I think, but acted on what God clearly laid out for him to do. And as far as I know, he did it with righteousness and godliness. And there's great fruit from it. What he did was remove the pressure. He said, I'm not going to respond right now. I'm not going to act right now. I'm going to step away from the situation, remove the pressure, and I'm going to wait until God tells me what to do. In your situation, is pressure in some way, shape, or form getting to you and keeping you from hearing the cricket in the bushes, so to speak. The second one, second tip is surrender your agenda. It is very difficult to hear God's voice in a matter when you're seeking guidance or leading if you already have in your heart predetermined what you want. That's called bias. And even if God showed you what he wanted, it would be pretty hard for your wills to, to reconcile. So a big, a big thing, and it should be obvious, but when you're seeking God's guidance or seeking his leading, is to do what um, Pete Schizero calls, and it's kind of an interesting phrase, he calls it 
becoming indifferent to God's will. Indifferent to God's will. Meaning, you come to such a place of surrender that you have no preference on A or B or C. That your preference is whatever God wants. That's hard to get there, but it's possible to get there. I, for, I mean, I think two years struggled with where we were going to move for our church building. I knew we needed to get out of our warehouse, and we began to think about that. And I was dead set on, I don't want to be a portable church. And people would, would pop up, hey, Drew, have you thought about Hawthorne? I think six or eight people over the course of three months suggested Hawthorne. And every time, I would immediately say, no, <laughs> because I don't want a trailer. And no one wants a trailer. And I had a very strong opinion on what God's will would be for our church. And I've told the story about when I went away for some time, I removed the pressure. I, I, I took a month off last summer to really, Lord, what do you want? And I, I discovered that I was processing this guidance prayer through the lens of fear instead of faith. And I got to a place where I was indifferent to whatever God had, I'm indifferent. Not like in a bad way, but Lord, whatever you have, I'm in. And then he brought Hawthorne to us and it kind of tested me and if you've been at the school, if you've been around, it is amazing. And we don't have a trailer, and we have found favor there, and they've given us several different rooms to store our stuff in there. And we've kind of slimmed down to the bare essentials, and it's been so good for our church, and it's brought so many people um, to the front lines of helping and serving. If I were not indifferent, I don't know if we would have landed there. It's been a huge blessing. We've been able to minister to the staff there and the kids there and the teachers there. and It's amazing. Indifferent to God's will. Sometimes I will pray, even at the beginning of a meeting, Lord, I surrender all my knowledge, my experience, my preferences, my ideas, my creativity, my agenda. I just think of anything that I can surrender because often God is doing things that I don't want. That's why he's God, why I'm not. The third is to pray scripture. When you're praying for guidance, pray scripture. Um, Psalms 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet. You know, you say, God, will you just show me? You know, get a little flashlight. Lord, your, your word is a lamp. Now, here's the thing. Um, God's word is a lamp. I wish it were like a high beam spotlight that could go miles, but that's not God's word for us. It's always like, a couple of feet. Uh, Psalms 43, verse 3, send forth your light and let your truth, let them guide me. Uh, you know, praying that. Um, J- James 1, 5, it talks about if you need wisdom, ask God. You know, so you could pray through the, the chapter, uh, the first chapter of James. Ephesians 1 has a great prayer about the eyes of our heart being enlightened. That's another, like, let there be light. Um, you, you can find scriptures about your situation and turn them into prayers. It's a great tip in in praying for God's lead. Fourth is give it time. Spiritual formation is a dirt path. It is not a five-lane highway going 75 miles an hour. God, in my experience, and I think in the, the experience of the scriptures, does not move very fast. While Jesus was busy, 
He was never in a hurry. There were times where Jesus was so um, pressed in by all the needs that he couldn't even eat. Jesus was busy, but he was never hurried, and there's a big difference there. I'm often hurried. (laughs) Jesus was never hurried. Almost always, God is, quote, behind my timetable. You know, if I'm thinking a week, I should be thinking like a month or two. If I'm thinking a month, I should think, you know, three or four months. If I'm thinking three or four months, I should probably think a year. If I'm thinking a year, I should probably think five years. There's a great uh, phrase that says, um, most of the time we um, overestimate what we can do in one year and we underestimate what God can do in five years. Sometimes we just got to give it time. Lastly, once you hear from God, seek confirmation. Seek confirmation first through Scripture. Make sure that what you're hearing doesn't uh, contradict Scripture. Um, Sometimes uh, peace is our guide. Seek confirmation. Do you have a deep peace, regardless of kind of of the the understanding or the, the logic or reasoning you might have? Do you have a peace that bypasses all the understanding? A mentor of mine always says, peace will be your guide. If God is leading you to do something, even if it's kind of risky, it requires faith. There will be a peace that undergirds all of that. Third, and this is really hard, is seek confirmation through community. This is so hard for us Americans because we are so um, individual and we usually come to decisions, make them, and then we send a memo and we let people know, hey, this is what we're doing. I've been a part of very, very few communities where they practice what we call mutual submission where we can bring a kind of a question to trusted, healthy community and say, will you pray with me about this and help me confirm what God seems to be saying to me? Um, the act of mutually discerning is not hard. What is hard is finding and staying in and building a community that is healthy enough to do that in. Um, we had an example of this. Just in my, I was thinking of, a lot of times when I haven't done this and I've just made a decision and I've let people know and I've often hurt people by doing that. A good example of this is when we felt called to plant the church. I wasn't necessarily sure that downtown San Antonio was the place and I talked to my pastor and my pastor's dad and several of my friends that I was in ministry with and of course Shari, I talked to my parents, my mom, my dad, my three sisters, talked to mentors that I had years ago. I would meet local people like Chris and Kayla and Sammy and I would ask them, you know, talk to Eric and Amanda, what do you think about this? I remember talking to Cass and Susan, driving around, what do you think about this area? And I was honestly not mutually discerning. I was waiting for anybody to tell me, you shouldn't do this. And almost all of them said, yes, Drew, God's calling you to do that. And some of them said, yes, Drew, God's calling us to do that with you. And just by entering into kind of accidentally this process of confirming what God was saying to us with others, one, it gave me like a great cloud of witnesses to fall back on whenever I questioned whether God was saying it to me. They would all remind me, yes, we all discerned you should do this, don't give up. But also it invited people to join the story. So I wonder if there's something you're praying about or thinking about or kicking the tires on, are there a few brothers or sisters that you trust where you can, before the decision, bring to them and go, will you pray with me about this and help me 
hear God's voice. Where do you need God's leading and guidance right now? He wants to help you. He's, your, he's the great shepherd of your soul. He wants to help. But you got to look to him. You got to unplug from the matrix and get out of Times Square and tune your ears to other things. I want to pray uh, a prayer that I found. This is a great book called, by John Eldridge called Moving Mountains. My favorite book on prayer. So helpful, so practical. It is not religious at all in the sense. It, is, um, it answers a lot of questions like, what do you do when you, when you pray and nothing happens? What do you do when God says no? I mean, this is, if you, if, if, pray, if you need to dive into prayer, this is a great book. There's a chapter on here on guidance, and I've taken a lot of these tips from this chapter. There's an incredible prayer that I'd like to just pray over all of us right now. And I want you to kind of bring whatever area is, bring it um, that you need guidance and bring it to the Lord. Holy Spirit, I need your help. I come to you in need of your counsel your guidance and direction. Wisdom and power belong to you, God. You change times and seasons. You set up kings and depose them. You give wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. You reveal deep and hidden things. You know what lies in darkness. The light dwells with you. Holy Spirit, I ask for wisdom and power I ask you to make known to me the answer to this riddle. But first, I consecrate my life to you, including all my plans and decisions. I consecrate this decision and this question to you. I consecrate the process to you as well. I bring all of this under the rule and under the dominion of Jesus Christ, who is Lord. I surrender all my hopes. I surrender all my dreams, all my desires, all my fears, to you, God. I surrender my hunches, my own thoughts and plans. I ask you, God, for your clear and true leading in my life. You have promised me I will, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you, says Psalms, 20, Psalms 32 eight. I need your counsel, Holy Spirit. Come into this decision-making process. Shine your light here and banish all confusion. Deliver me from falsehood and fear, from false directions and foolish choices. I want to know the way you have for me. I also lay down in this moment the pressure to get the answer right. I lay down the pressure to hear from you clearly. I just simply ask you to speak to me, God. Let there be light. We proclaim Genesis 1-3, let there be light. Holy Spirit, shine your light on this. Shine your light over this decision, over everything involved. What is going on here, Lord? We call forth the light of God over this. Let there be light. I ask you, God, to fill me with the knowledge of your will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I ask you for the spirit of revelation here. God, we need your help. I ask that in this moment, wherever we are, however we are, in whatever way, shape, or form, our souls and emotions 
and bodies and thought thought processes like. Holy Spirit, we ask for more of you. God, I ask that you would make us a people that first looks to you and says, God, what do you want? But we have always found it better to ask, what are you doing so that we can join it? Instead of asking you to join the thing that we've come up with. Or for those who are wrestling with hard decisions right now, God, I pray you would let there be light. Let there be peace. Let there be wisdom that goes beyond all understanding. Jesus, we confess we need you.